who is the servant and who is the master from your point of view? Arthur, Arthur, bro, sorry to interrupt, man. That's okay, um, that's okay. Do you want to say the main question first before you jump into the topic? He said it in his intro, but I think you can you can probably say it again. Yeah, oh, cool. He said I, it I in his catch. intro, but you can, you can probably state it again. Yeah, it's okay, man. I know you don't necessarily listen to me. Sorry, <laughs> bro. <laughs> sorry, bro. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we're making you better. Arthur, we're making you better, man. It's a test. Yeah, yo, yeah, yo yeah. Isaac, they fighting for the rebound right now. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's that passion, man. That's that passion. <laughs> Welcome to the B-Side, the music snobs. This is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and joining me as always are my co-hosts, Isaac and Jahan. With that, from time to time, we check in on the pulse of music journalism and... We want to know, is genuine music criticism still alive, or are modern journalists too afraid to bite the hand that feeds them? And with that, we have a guest snob that's joining us. We are very happy to welcome the editor-in-chief of Vibe Magazine and Vibe.com, Mr. Daytuan Thomas. What up, what up, what up, what up? What's good, yeah. family? Right, just like <laughs> where, where I punch in, where I punch in the soul clap. There it go, clap. there it go. <laughs> the, the, the showbiz and AG version, I hope. <laughs> Showing your age. Word up. Deep, deep. Oh, so, man, man. editor-in-chief of Vibe. Yes, Founder yes, of King Magazine and Rides Magazine. Mm. Yeah, man. Former editor-in-chief of XXL Magazine. Yep. Co-founder mm. of 22 Hats. In yes. which I purchased my first unstructured suede super bad hat last night. There it go, there it go. We appreciate the support. <laughs> <laughs> As I said before, Day One is editor-in-chief of Vibe, uh, a magazine that has an incredible legacy. And it has definitely reached icon status in the uh, realm of music journalism. Uh, it's basically one of the temples of black music journalism. So when you reference the legacies of Rolling Stone or Spin magazines, you should also be referencing Vibe. And for a full primer, you can check our episode number 19 that we did a few years ago on Vibe magazine. You can find that on themusicsnobs.com or uh, in the show feed of your favorite uh, podcast aggregator or app. So with an age now where social media is actually not competing with um, traditional print, which is almost non-existent, but magazines that have that have moved to a full online format like Vibe has, where mm-hmm. Vibe really is competing with social media all the way, um, and it really does beg the question of today, 2019, is music criticism still alive? Criticism mm. still alive? Mm. Where you're competing with social media to get things right, to be uh, to be kind of the foundational. Um, story, right, right. Are the, are, you know, are you all too afraid to bite the hand um, that you know that feeds you? Yo, it's it's wild, man. I I don't think there's there's any fear on our part. Um, I think there is a fear within the industry and and how things are covered. Um, there are a few people that really don't care as far as like um, running up on the artist or not even mm-hmm. running up on the artist, but just being being as opinionated and, and as truthful as they can be, like a Charlemagne, 
Um, I think he's one of those that are like, I'm just going to say what's on my mind and I'm going to say the things that I know is going to poke the bear or poke this artist. Um, that kind of that kind of journalism right now is kind of bugged out. But for the most part, I think brands just want to be able to say, hey, I have this opinion. I want to get this out to our audience. If you like it, cool. If you don't mess with it, cool. Are they afraid to say certain things because they're not going to get invited to things? I think that's always been within the industry. It's just more pervasive now because we have social media and mm-hmm. those brands can shout back at people. You know, it's like the, the the conversation is just so much more out in the open. I think it's always been like that. But um, for us in particular, we're not, we're not afraid. I think one of the things you do want to make sure that you have some kind of connection to the artist. And if you're going to, if you're going to critique them, you know, you want to do it respectfully. I think now a lot of critiquing and artists are really sensitive in this era because sales mean even more now. Um, and, and buzz means even more now. I think you have to do it in a respectful way. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a bunch of different levels, bro. Daytuan, could I just ask you if there's maybe different types of journalism that we're talking about here? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, someone like Charlemagne and The Breakfast Club, would you say that they're more of a media personality than like a traditional journalist? I, I believe so, yes. And would you say with the media personalities, because they have to develop that persona for themselves, do they sometimes or increasingly depend on a more adversarial kind of content or relationship with their subject yep and i guess i'm asking are the majority of journalists who don't fit into that media personality category are they almost handicapped Mm. because you know i i do feel nowadays increasingly when i read an article by a journalist at an official music publication i do feel that there's much more of a marketing angle on the piece rather than it being strictly an opinion piece or, or strictly a subjective review I, I feel like it's it's often the case now where we get into press release territory <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. no that's, yeah I agree with that uh, uh, that makes me laugh because I, and, like, you know, I'm not trying to single anybody out I'm not trying to you know say no 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 no, no not at all I, I, I totally get where you're coming from with it I think um, it, just to ride with what you're saying about it being almost like a press release if you don't explicitly like a particular artist, especially if they're younger these days, you're hating. Or it's like, oh, you don't mm-hmm, understand mm-hmm. it. You're out of the loop. This, that, and that. And it's like, no, I'm critiquing the quality of what I heard based on what I know is quality from previous generations and what we consider classics and using that bar and that scale, as well as leaving room for innovation for technical advancement, for you, you leave that space for these new kids. And if they don't hit that bar, if they don't measure up, then yeah, it may get a negative review. Um, they don't know how to take uh, constructive criticism and negative vibes and know which one is which. Because I, I did read something or hear something not too long ago where it's like, we're in a society now where you get the trophy if you just participate. 
you know, right. and, the, and yeah, I, the gold star. You get everybody the gold gets star. the gold star. Yeah, everybody gets the gold star just for participating in all that, which is all well and good. But how are we going to say what's great and what's good? What what's classic and what deserves, um, you know, the accolades that go far and above when people put the time in, the talent in, um, the research in. So we have to be able to do that. And um, in these times, it makes it hard for just the average journalist to do so because you could put all this time, all this effort, all this research into something and get a. Eh. <laughs> oh, let me let me move on. Let me let me tap past that. Or, you know, yeah. because we didn't have social, because we didn't have all these different platforms and twenty-four hour uh, content streams. Whenever a piece came out, that piece was definitive, be it good or bad. Right, right, right. You know, it was, it, and also there wasn't that immediate feedback to the piece. Oh, oh, no question. No, you had to write a letter. You had to write right. a letter. Yeah, you had to go. And, <laughs> right. So, so it might so, be two months before you even. You know, your letter was selected to be printed. Right. Which is which is the fast track future version of what the representation of that is Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's that's that whole process that we're talking about months and weeks and and that it takes to make all those things and the opinions and the reading of it clash or finally come together. That's instant now. But did you take enough time to really read it, digest what you read? And spit back something, you know. I think people are we're in the we're in the age of hot takes. Yeah. And 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 this man, look, I've been in hip hop long enough to have heard an album and was like, eh, this album ain't all that. But then a year later, like, damn, this is a this is a way better representation than what I thought. It grew on you. It grew on you. You got to hear the nuances. You're not just yeah. looking for whatever's hot in it. So, and and maybe a year is a, is a, is a while, but I'm still catching up on lyrics from 88 and 90 and 91. Mm-hmm. It, some of those lines just hit me different because I'm older. So when you take a lot of these kids that don't have the, um, the background or the attention span to sit with a project, dissect it, understand where the artist was coming from or want to, they're hearing it that first hour. It was like, yeah. J. Cole's middle child is whack. I ain't feeling it. It just dropped, G. <laughs> right. They move on. They, everything is much more ephemeral than it was um, back then. Kids listen to something and move on very quickly. It, because they got so much to get to. Right, right, right. There is too much traffic. It's so much traffic. It's so <laughs> much. It's like, yo, man. I don't I don't have a week to sit down and break down J. Cole's joint. <laughs> Right, right. And now we have this hot take culture where the whole purpose is to get your opinion out there as quickly as possible, no matter how short it is, no matter how sharp it is, no matter how transitory uh-huh. it is. Uh-huh. But having said that, it's one thing for an anonymous Twitter user to approach opinion that way. But it's another thing when major publications adopt that same approach. And I kind of wonder with everybody doing it, is there a pressure on journalists to compete with that? To be like, well, if we don't get something out now, the conversation is going to be dominated by all these Twitter users with opinions, just shooting them out. <laughs> and by the time we come out there with our fully formed opinion, the conversation's over. Do, do you guys think there's a, is that a pressure that's kind of come to bear down on the industry as a whole? 
Like, Daytuan, do you ever feel that pressure? I think on certain situations I do. I'm, I'm not even going to front. Certain situations I'll be hitting the team like, yo, what up? If it's, mm-hmm, I, but mm-hmm. I feel I feel like more so I'm like that when it's a video. When it's okay. when it's a video, I'm like, yo, we don't have it up. Like, what's up? Are we, yo, who got this? Or I'll be like, damn, let me just go ahead. I know the kids ain't up. Let me just go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they out there partying. I'm home, washed. Like, let me just go ahead and get this up. I feel it on the video side, but maybe not not as much when the albums and stuff like that drop. When it's a little bit more media and it's a lot more content that needs to be broken down, I'm not on some like, yo, we gotta we gotta hurry up and get it out. What I do like though, there's something that we do as a staff when it's a big album that's about to drop. Say Kendrick is about to drop or Eminem or somebody mm-hmm. like that. What I'll do is I'll get the team together and say, hey. Let's get our first reactions. Let's let's say it that way. We we've consumed it. We did our first run through. You might give it another second run through. My first reaction of this album is like how we did back in the day of Biggie drop. Everybody in the car is like, "Yo, track four is ill. Track five is I." You know that type of thing. Mm-hmm. The hot takes thing that I have an issue with is that being the law about a project and a respected journalist or institution saying this is what it is and you haven't sat with it long enough but you know the first reactions kind of thing i do kind of feel like needs to happen for bigger projects but the pressure that that that's a lot more forgivable that yeah, way because, of doing it is very forgivable yeah. that 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 basically steers you away from what i hate uh-huh. which is the definitive opinion so early in the game like right right 100 this is this it's law. Right. I don't care that it only came out 15 minutes ago and I haven't had a chance to hear it properly. It is what yeah, it John, is. You, you know what's so funny about the way you said that? Because somebody, because people will be like, people will be like, yeah, yo, this is the funniest shit. They'll be like, um, yeah, the J. Cole album is whack. Debate your moms. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, go debate your cat. Like, it's like no room for like this to grow on me. Your mom's ain't mm-hmm. shit, so go debate her. It's like, yo, why we gotta be so right aggressive with your opinion on this? It's, it's, and this like, is... how do you navigate that? I mean, like going back to the hot takes, going back right. to the hot takes, going back to the artist sensitivity, yeah. you know, and being able to navigate and discern between the criticism and the personal. You wanna, you wanna. You want to be as honest and as truthful and as on point as you can be. But there are some that's going to, you know, slip through the cracks. And then you're going to see these people out in the street. I would say for us, it's a a little bit different because there's a respect factor there with the brand being as old as as it is and as and as entrenched in the culture and myself being that. But I think like some of these other ones, they do go hard on these artists so they can get the. They can, yo, they shit it on such and such. Like, that's how they build their name clickbait. in this day yeah. and age. Like clickbait, yeah. right? Yeah, like... Well, I, th- I think it's deeper than clickbait. Well, it is clickbait, but I think, though, this adversarialism that you guys were talking about earlier, I think that that's, that's a part of social media. And yes. I didn't realize yes. how much of a part of social media was um, until recently. I was just reading an article in New York Magazine about Lil Tay, who I knew nothing about. Right. Um, was evidently a, a, a meme star uh, recent last year um, and, and blew up. Um, and you know, blowing up now takes it literally could happen within a 24-hour news cycle. Easy. Um, but it, within the article, what was interesting about the article, what made me keep reading it was that 
the writer dove into this whole adversarialism as a part of social media. In other words, like Daeswan just said, that's how people build up their followings, you know, is hating on other shit and going hard on it, whether or not they have that opinion or not. It's just part of their brand. Um, so I think that that's to, to feed into you guys' point. I think that's one of the problems. But just looking at the magazine structure and looking at what's a balanced, whether it's online or whether it's print, what makes up a balanced um, publication to me is that you have profiles and you have critiques. These are two different things. So, for instance, GQ is never going to put do a profile and put somebody on their cover that they don't like or more importantly, that they think you don't like. It's going to be somebody that's positive, mm. somebody, somebody that they can say a nice something about. Um, but a balanced publication such as um, New York Times used to do back in the day or, or Rolling Stone, whoever, um, or Double XL. Um, or vibe back in the day, you may have a profile on a person, but sometimes within that same issue, somebody will do a review on their album and it won't be positive. I've seen that before. Mm -hmm. You know, I've even mm -hmm. seen yeah. I've even seen profiles done on artists where they'll say, um, you know, the blah 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 album just came out in a profile. See page forty six. My colleague so and so doesn't necessarily share my opinion. I've seen that. Before, of course, you know, and to me, that's a that's a more balanced thing. Mm -hmm. um, but to what Daeswan was just saying, you know, this, what to me, what's the difference? You know, what happens in entertainment media and entertainment journalism? So we're talking about music, um, movies, um, any type of entertainment and sports versus what happens in other types of journalism, you know, political journalism, for instance. Um, these are two different beasts because within entertainment journalism, especially when you're talking about um, back in the day, like we were mentioning before the show, um, when hip hop culture was jumping off and we were covering it um, as, as kids, basically, you're talking about living within that culture. Yep. Um, and when you live within a culture, one for one, you have the responsibility of, you know, these people like this is your fam. You know what I'm saying? And it's like you're 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 as by writing about them, you're actually supporting them. Um, and by writing negatively about them, you actually feel like you're tearing them down a bit. But then the other side of that is that by writing about them, you feel like you're supporting the culture within itself. You know, you're you're elevating the culture. Hip hop was not always the uh, the Goliath or the, the it was it was the David for a very long time. Very long time. Um, and for us at the beginning of the, this thing, when you really were documenting what was going on and not a lot of people were paying attention the way they are now, you felt the weight and the responsibility of saying, OK, I need to elevate this because I'm pushing, I'm lifting up this culture. You know, this is something I'm passionate about. Um, and my voice is important because these other writers aren't going to write about it the way that we are. You know, that the that double XL is the Rolling Stone ain't going to do it the way double XL no. was doing it back in the day. Um, so there's that weight and responsibility. Now, even back then, though, I think the difference then as opposed to now was and Daytona can can agree or disagree with me. I think that there was a more of a literary sense back then as far as what we were writing about and the fact that we wanted to make sure that these pieces stood the test of time. Because they had what style, we Isaac. We did, <laughs> we did it with style, style, bro. We did it with style. style. We sat down and thought of themes and how, how to create exactly. and, 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 exactly. and bringing and bringing like other literary elements, but like like those influences of James Baldwin and and mm -hmm. and, and Zora and and Alice Walker, like we, like yo, man, we were really studying those that came before right. us. Not even just in music writing, but just in in the great writing before, and being like, yo, I want to be on that level, talking about old dirty bastard. 
<laughs> you know what right, I'm because, saying? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like because that issue, like being right, able to to elevate them, take it as high as you can take as, it, as high as you can take it, man. Like that's what we wanted. And then we look at these hot takes, or we look at this shortened version on Twitter. It's almost like, dag, man, you're shortchanging yourself, you're shortchanging the artist, and you're shortchanging the culture by not being able to expand your thoughts because you feel you need to get them on Twitter only. And and, be, and and because a lot of people can't really take those expanded pieces and get really nuanced and, and go deep dive and use all the different elements and put it on a website because nobody wants to read on a, on a website anymore. Yeah, see, that's that's that's, you a, know? that's a question I have for all you guys, because to me, OK, this comes down to this and we say kids, but really do people, people who are consuming media right now, um, whether they be millennials, Gen Xers, uh, Generation Z, who we need to start talking about. Do people care about criticism versus coverage? In other words, do they want to read profiles of these artists or are they just interested in hearing that or reading that real quick clip about the album or the song or the two lines? The reason that I ask that is because back when before um, streaming, just just to take streaming, for example, before streaming, I think we were a little bit more dependent upon music criticism because we actually had to go and buy an album. Yes. Like you had to leave your house, mm-hmm. go to somebody, whether it's a, a mom and pop or whether it's a, a chain, and you had to buy an album. So the opinion and, was valuable. And, 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 Isaac, opinion, and Isaac, the opinion was valuable. Because you only had a couple of dollars. And you only had a couple of dollars. It cost money. <laughs> it cost so money. So it wasn't $7 a month and you get access to everything. No, it was $15 a CD or whatever. So if you are in that situation, then not just the opinion, but the actual breakdown of the album that right. used to happen in good critiques, the the line by line or the bar by bar or that song by song breakdown, you were invested in that. I need to read about this before I go buy it, unless it's just artists that you buy anyway. So, but now fast forward to 2019, if I want to know if somebody's album is good, I can take 20 seconds and just flip through all their tracks real quick on Spotify, listen to the first few seconds of each track and decide, okay, I'm gonna listen to the whole album for real. That's all it takes. That's it. So how how invested am I in music criticism in 2019? You know, how invested do I need to be? There's also another component here as well, which is, do you want to take the opinion or are you comfortable taking the opinion of somebody who may have heard less than you, and has you know, mm. generally less exposure to the art than you do? Do you want to do you want to read their review? <laughs> what a Jahanian thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I agree with you 100 percent i'm just saying that's 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 straight <laughs> but it's true though right i know you feel me and you know you look at twitter it's all about the same artists over and over again and they're all contemporary artists and if they're not contemporary it's either michael jackson or it's prince or careful careful you know, those chosen big artists out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very rarely anyone else it's never you know it's never you know charlie parker or duke ellington or wayne shorter or any kind of instrumental artist from the past. It's only ever instrumental now if it's modern hip hop. So there is that disconnect amongst most of the mm-hmm. people commenting on this stuff. Man, it means something. But Jay, there are, I, I agree with you 100%, but there are plenty of music writers who have a wide, extensive, um, you know, uh, range of knowledge to choose from. Most of them are older. Um, most of them are writing for very prestigious publications. I, I put prestigious in quotes. Um, there are a lot of them out there. My question is that how interested are people in their their words? Mm. You know, how, how interested are people in their stuff? Because I have to be honest, man, I'm interested in this stuff, but as busy as we all are, 
am I going to read, take time to read something before I actually listen to something? When I know it takes me two seconds to click on this so true. and actually listen to the album. Well, well you know, I, I think yeah. stuff like that, though, has scaled, has scaled over generations in time. I mean, for me, it's always been... Do I see myself in the music that I'm listening to? Do I what what's my association with the person who's recommending something to me? Because, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't a Spotify. There wasn't a streaming service, you know, but I did have people whose opinions I respected. And that didn't necessarily mean that it, it came from, a, a, you know, a writer of a magazine that I respected. And it may not have uh, I may not have had the faculty to listen to some music you know, because I could just click a link and listen to it online. But that person whom I respected, who yep. I saw myself, my association with had that and was like, yo, go ahead and listen to this. Yep. Arthur, you, you hit it. You hit it, bro. I was going to say the same thing. There was a time when I might have even heard the album already. I might even already heard the album, all that, had my opinion. And then I, I would read something by like Reginald Dennis or right. I would read something by Dario Strange or whoever had wrote something in, in the source music section. And they, they gave me a different angle on it. Oh, I didn't know that lyric meant this. I didn't know this meant that. Right. They, oh, added, right. they oh, wow. added depth. Right. 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 They added it to it because a lot of times the only we didn't have access to the artists to get the breakdowns that we needed. So the writers were the ones that broke everything down because they had the access to the artists. And usually when the artists would would break down their stuff, they wouldn't use the whole feature to break down the music. They'll be talking about whatever drama or beef that they had going on or whatever. Or how they got started. How they got or started. are they yeah. really friends now? Exactly. And, stuff like that. and then if you ask them about the album, they'd be like, go listen to it. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. So I mean, we there's, were, been, there's been a lot of stuff that I've listened to that I got into because, you know, of the girl that I liked at the time. Ah, that's real. That's real. I, I definitely, and I wanted to be up on what she was interested in to, you know, try to finesse a, a movie. A movie I'm gonna tell like you right that. now, man. <laughs> yeah, that, he edited himself right there. All day. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely got into a lot of dancehall reggae because of girls at the parties, man. I wanted yeah. to sing with them while we dancing. You know what I'm saying? Like that was the thing. But when you think about what culture critics are today, everyone's a culture critic. Everyone, and it's not even about music anymore. It's it's about what food we gotta eat, and you know what 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 area you need to live in, and all that. So everyone has a voice now, but the fact that everyone has a voice doesn't mean that you have to consume them in the way that we used to. I feel that there are some institutions and some people that just have really good taste, and if you find those people and and you kind of sync with them or whatever, those become your your new leaders and a lot of times it's not even about the music it's about lifestyle mm -hmm. people have lifestyle leaders now do you feel a responsibility to maintain a certain distance with your personal associations with artists wow man that's a great and i'm question. asking that because i think there is value i think there's real value with the writers having a personal in with 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 uh with the artist or the scene because i believe that that builds a certain a certain um um level of trust mm -hmm. that you need to write an effective piece 
We have your Instagram feed too, Dave. Before you answer, bro, we have know, your Instagram feed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Be careful, bro. We have evidence. You, you know, you know, everybody, everybody, like link up and yo chilling with my bro. Everybody does that, <laughs> and, you, and you literally just took a picture. <laughs> there was there was no chilling involved, and, and <laughs> but um, I will say yes, man. Like over time, I think it does help you in in the relation of okay this artist trusts me around their their project they know that you know it, it won't get leaked by me they're able to be uh transparent with me um however if it's not good is our relationship based on a way where i can say yo man i'm i'm not really feeling this one and they still respect me and still have me around that that's where the percentage gets smaller of who you really have a relationship with as far as them being a big name artist or not even a big name artist just a relationship with an artist where you as a journalist or someone that's that's a critic can go to them and say yo man i don't know about this one bro this one is uh and then let them Mm -hmm. are they gonna let you listen to the next one are you gonna get that call this time to say hey come on down I want to do this. This so yo, be super real right now. So many times where dealt with artists on the come up, you liking their stuff. They're a little bit more hungry, so the quality is different. The quality mm-hmm. is a, a etch above everyone else. They get a little comfortable. They come back to you. You hit them with the yo, I like this. This is cool. However, if then you start, you don't get the calls like that no more. Because now they feel like, damn, man, they critique me to my face. So now the sensitivity creeps in. Now the sensitivity creeps in. And next time they come around, you see them with the other the other journalists that like they shit no matter what. So now it's like, y'all still cool, but the relationship ain't the same because you critique something that they did. So now it's like, all right, I did my job. Or was I a friend? Or was I a, a, a colleague within this industry to say, hey, that wasn't your best work. I'll say this. If there's only there's only two things that happen now. There's only two. There's no middle, really. Artists mm-hmm. go where they know they're going to get love. Mm-hmm. And they also go to the breakfast club. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, can, you, go, you go where you're going to get the love so you can feel good about yourself. And then you go to breakfast club to show you're not afraid of the heat. Yeah. Mm. Only there's um, no in between. There's no in between. Because if anybody else outside of breakfast club throw you shade or give you heat or like, yo, I'm not really, they're a hater. But you go to breakfast club because you show you're not afraid of the of the heat. That's it. It's just those two things. You're right there, and you know it's interactive. You can give as good as you get. You can give them heat back and then in real time. In real time. Whereas like on Twitter, it might not come off the right way. On Instagram, you right. sound like you're you're just being all over the place and you're and you you're, you're hot headed. You know, it's it's just those two things. Let me ask you this though. How much of this has to do with being a not just a journalist, but being a black journalist? Because because oh, well, we're, we're talking about we going in, Isaac? Yeah, we're going in. Cause listen, <laughs> we talking about we talking about Family, you know what I'm saying? We use that term a lot, yeah. right? So these artists, these ball players, all these people we dealing with, it's not just that we looking at them as like some subject right. that we're going to write about. 
back in the day, we was looking at this, this these, these it was like, okay, this fan, oh, that's my dude, yeah. that's my, do-, you know, whatever, whatever. So I feel like that's the life of a black journalist. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Man. When you're covering, when you're covering black culture, you know, to an extent, you feel like you are in part, you know, you're telling, you're telling on your fam if you don't, if you don't give them the love. Um, so how much of that comes into play in 2019? Is, is it like it was back in the day? Has, has it not changed? Or and what? it's so many different elements to it now because now in 2019, uh, our culture and, and all of its many assets and spinoffs and, and branches is accepted, um, of course, for personal gain um, by mainstream, even way more so. So you're not just competing for a, a Redman or a Jay-Z or a Little Wayne within the vibe source double XL circle. Now you got to right. compete with them against Rolling Stone, GQ, Vanity Fair, Forbes, right. um, Fortune, because now they want that kind of look. If I'm rapper X, I've been on double XL eight times. I've been on such and such seven times. I don't need them. I, <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right. I've never been on, I've never been on cover of Forbes. I've never been mm-hmm. on GQ. So who's going to get the bigger story for them I'll even jump outside of the music and go into Hollywood and entertainment because now that the whole Oscar so white thing blew up and now we have Oscar so black this year, we were trying to cover Black Panther with the, when the junket happened last February, last January. And every black publication that was brought out there were being marginalized and put into a back room. And we had to wait until Rolling Stone, EW, and the rest of them got their looks with the black cast. Mm. Seriously. And what's, mm. what's, what's so crazy to me is that they all weren't doing that kind of reporting when those same people, like a Michael B. Jordan, was promoting Creed. Or when, right. or when Chadwick was being, was being Thurgood Marshall. Or like the black publications have to hold that weight and have to push mm-hmm. those kind of movies. But then once mm-hmm. Black Panther come in with all their Walt Disney and ABC and, and crazy dollars, now those publications get the front row when we have to go ahead and deal with these people when, when, when the projects that they have aren't front facing the mainstream, when they're more right. black, black, black. Like, come on, right. man. Why, why, why do we get marginalized like that? And on top of that, we can't get covers with them during that time. Only one black publication, in essence, was able to get all of them on the cover at once. Come on, uh, man. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's not even the demo for that movie. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So that makes yeah. That that's that makes me think what's changed, bro. It's so it's it's so crazy. But I will say this: the individuals, those those people that were in it, like Michael B. Jordan, he came back and was like, "Yo, I'm shooting with you, bro. Nah, come on, we doing this." Forrest Whitaker, nah, come on, let's go. What Winston Duke? Nah, let's do it here. Mm-hmm. Like they had to take it upon themselves. It's not. It, it wasn't them in, per se. It was their handlers, and that's mm-hmm. and that's the part that we don't even get to talk about. The people that control these projects, from music to movies to fashion, the ones that control it outside of the individual talent. Those are the ones that make it murky and hard for us to cover these people in the right way. Mm-hmm. And see, that's that's the double edged sword because the handlers can be your oh, friend and your foe, and 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 your enemy. They could be both. They could be both. But it also depends on what works for them. If I'm one of the handlers and I'm able to get them a Vanity Fair cover, and I go back to my higher ups and say, Yo, "Look what I got," as opposed to a vibe or maybe a source or whatever, who's getting a, a promotion? Who's getting a good look? 
because of how mm-hmm. those institutions are looked at in mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to that point, if it's Vanity Fair who says something even slightly negative or a negative review, whatever, um, say of Kanye or someone else, he's more likely to, well, not Kanye. That's a bad example. <laughs> bad example, but as you say, a rapper X, if rapper X gets something negative in Vanity Fair, he's more likely probably to fuck with them again before he'll fuck oh, with you no if you say question. something negative. I'll even go as yeah. far as to say complex. When Wale mm. wigged out on one of their writers at Complex for writing something negative or saying something negative about him, and he just bugged out on him. It was all caught on tape and all this stuff. I'm like, dag, mm. I, I know Wale ain't messing with them no more. Next thing mm. you know, it gets all brushed up, and he's on the cover with Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I'm like, yo, <laughs> yo. Uh, and that's just uh, because of relationship and the fact that he's able to look beyond that and he grew and all of that good stuff. But I also do believe that it's because of who that market pertains to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't think that would have happened with a with a, a black based um, publication. So, Jahan and Arthur, you told me about this whole uh, Leanne LaHavis thing. Uh, you, I, you guys can explain in more detail. But my question, before you dive into that, my question is based on what Day just said or what we just talked about. She went off on a on a writer. I want on a black writer. Would that have you know? Would she have gone off like that on a white pub, a white publication? No, I don't think she would. In December of 2015, um, OK Player published an article that that chronicled 10 or 15 but basically the 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 most disappointing releases of the year (laughs) and it was a list of albums that okay player felt was disappointing now uh the byline was to the man the then managing editor kavito clark the top Um, guy top guy and a good man leanne lahavis her second album called blood was on this list and Leanne had actually visited the offices not long before this article was published online. And um, Leanne was one of those artists that OK Player were featuring because, um, you know, she's good. Up and coming, wanted to give her some shine, wanted to give her some, you know, additional exposure. And after the article was released, Leanne took to Twitter. Um, and with two tweets, I mean, really blasted OK Player for publishing an article like that. Mentioned Kavito by name. Kavito is a writer. Question, question Kavito on, you know, like when was the last time you put out an album? You know, OK, <laughs> you know, the second that's tweet. That, that's that, that's an Adrian Bronner <laughs> response. Yeah, the second, uh, you know, the your, second what's tweet your, was. What, what's, what's your record? What's, what, what's your <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, um, but it was like going off, you know, like, you know, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck is this? You know, why would you even, you know, put out a list, you know, uh, uh, criticizing anyone's work? Why don't you love me? Mm, you know, mm, but mm. I'm saying, you know, she can go directly to Quest Love and be like, you know, what the fuck? Right. Next thing Kevin knows, and we're talking about days, he gets a call from his immediate boss, you know, who talked to Quest Love. And his immediate, Kevin's immediate boss was like, look, you got you to gotta clean this up. Now, I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to actually talk about 
this with uh, with Kavito, another show that I do from time to time called Entry Points, you know, and something that Kavito was telling me, uh, you know, about it. He was saying that, you know, it's a it's a real gamble to be objective without being offensive. Yes, it's, it's mega hard. And Leanne <laughs> took this as an as an as an affront. She took this very, you know, very personally, you know, and um, Kavito said that, you know, he he felt that he needed to be well versed with the bosses referring to Questlove, the bosses association via his large social circle and that he was directly instructed to smooth out the waters. And so, you know, that post, the most disappointing releases that was taken down and they never did anything like that again, you know, wow. and I think that this and it goes back to the whole thing about the the need that I feel that there is a need to for writers to have a personal relationship with artists to a point mm -hmm. for the for the purpose of being able to build up to build up trust. Um, but the 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 disappointing the disappointing. Let me let me let me let me let me phrase this carefully, because I, I don't want to not I mean. Not, Jokes yeah, aside, don't I don't want to offend yeah, okay players because this you is don't not. Want her snapping off you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying, but the disappointing thing that I felt about OK Player was that it, it felt like they didn't stand behind Cavito, and I felt like they should because she, you know, publicly went off on them in a in a I mean in a really public kind of way, and I mean real talk. I thought the album was disappointing, and I like Leanne Lahavis. <laughs> you know, I've been checking on Leanne Lahavis since, you know, 2012, 2013, when she was putting EPs out on SoundCloud, you know, and I thought that she just didn't it didn't it didn't make it. And that's not to say that, I, you know, again, I check for Michelle and Diego Cello every time she releases an album, every time that she releases an album. Mm -hmm. But I, don't, I haven't felt the last two or three releases in the same kind of way that I that I feel comfort woman, uh, you know what I'm saying? Right. Devil's halo, you know, weather. It, it, it's just, she's speaking differently to me now, but that's not to say that I'm not, not going to check for her the next time that she drops. Or, or that you're not still a fan. Yeah. And, and there is a difference between supporting the artist and supporting the work. Right. Like you can, it's not mutually exclusive. You can really support the artist a hundred percent and just not feel one particular piece or, right. or different aspects of their catalog but you may still really be behind them i mean i was showing early bird love for leanne on this show yep he was listen and and leanne if you're listening the other problem i have with what you said is curse right this cursing that she did in this tweet mm. what stupid pile of shit poll what the fuck does that mean <laughs> is that some british shit or uh jaded i don't what what stupid pile of shit poll? listen artists if you're gonna go on twitter and rant curse right yo man <laughs> emotions can run high <laughs> especially when you're dealing with your passion. It's natural. So you know, just to take the other side of this, I mean, you guys are writers. How would you feel if an artist wrote a song about you, criticizing your grammar, criticizing your syntax, saying that your metaphors were poor, that they were stolen from somebody else or uninspired, disappointing? How would you feel about that if they themselves had never written an article before, hadn't gone to journalism school, hadn't ever been employed as a journalist? How would you feel about that? That's a good question, Jay. But I think here's the thing about being an artist. When you step out there, and it's really, uh, to, 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 uh, and I think Dates want to feel me on this, really about being even, even if you're not an artist, if you're a journalist, any type of thing you put out in public, you're stepping out there, you're opening yourself up and you're saying, okay, here is what I produced. Hopefully y'all will love it. 
I, ex I expect some of y'all to hate it and I'm gonna be able to take that. There's a thick skin. When you're in journalism school, listen, yep. you you get hit. You know what I'm saying? You get the papers back, Woo. but they look like somebody bled on them. Look like a, a you know, murder you get scene. The, <laughs> right. You get, you get, you get, you know, uh, uh, taken apart. And that's part of the process. So to answer your question, Jay, if me personally, I think I deal with it a lot differently than somebody who didn't, you know, um, step out there on their own accord. For Leanne, you know, to step out there and put this album out. I think part of the problem is that she was in their offices. I don't, you know, to me, and, and I don't know what happens at Vibe. I don't know what happens to any of these publications anymore. If I'm running an office, I don't want to see artists around or hanging around, having coffee, chilling out with y'all. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that that's going to eventually lead to a problem. And I think that's part of what we were talking about earlier, where you have these cultures, whether it's music culture or sports culture or whatever, it's very hard to draw those lines. Oh, it's super Because hard, now bro. we're saying, I'm going to live in that world but y'all can't come to the office. You know what I'm saying? We can't hang out like that. But you know what? You know what's um, so crazy though, Isaac? Now, if they don't come to the office, you don't get any views. <laughs> you don't get any love. You don't get, you, <laughs> yo, it's like, <laughs> right now, I, I'm fielding probably for, for tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I'm fielding like six different requests to come to the office mm. by artists of different calibers. And okay, everybody, describe, everybody's describe not going to be able to come. And then yeah, describe describe an office visit because this happens. This is this been happening for decades. It's not that's not nothing new. Well, one in this day and age, to be next to a brand sign or whatever shows that you hustling that you out in the street, mm, right, mm -hmm. right. Instagram. What end up happening is opposed to like their hotel rooms and all of that stuff. They don't want to show you how they're really living. All of those days of like Isaac or myself being able to run with an artist for like two or three days or maybe even go on tour with them, that's super rare. That's super rare right now. A lot of writers aren't doing that. And PR teams, labels and all that, they would rather the artist just go up to the label, play the music, get a couple of smiles for Snap and IG and call it a day. And they do that run. That's the press run now. That's what it is because everything is for the gram and for social. Mm -hmm. So... I just feel as though like that's their thing and you won't get anything else. So if you don't do that with them or allow them to come through, it's really hard to get them outside of that element. It's really so how much how much of this then uh, day? How much of this is on not just the artists, but their their handlers their to tell them, listen, just because you was at Vibe today, those aren't your friends. Oh, they got it. You know they got to know that Vibe may I, I, Vibe may shit all over your next release. That, you know, and you have to smile at them and take that because I feel like Leanne's response was so juvenile. Uh -huh. You know, it was like, what what world are you living in where you thought everybody was just going to love everything but, you put but out? But you know what though, Isaac and and Devil's Advocate on that, like they don't have to smile and, and take it anymore. That's why you have a Nikki that'll go off on anybody. You, you have artists that'll just jump out and say the, say those things right now because they know like, yo, guess what? We don't necessarily need you. We don't need you right now. You know, is it, we, we're is like, it like it's cool if you like my stuff. It's cool if you hate my stuff. But it's really about the the, the fans. And, and, and think of this. The fans are arguing with the artists more now. <laughs> it's the great. Mm. The artists are now, going I back and be, forth with fans. Like it's crazy. True. Now hold up, because I want to be. Uh, I, I want to put this in perspective. You know, these comments happen. We're talking about comments that were made three years ago. This kerfuffle yeah. with with Leanne yeah. Lahavis. She may react very differently now if the thing happened today. And Arthur, I believe the same for Wale, because that happened in like 2013. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I believe that, and, you know, there's different things that that come into your life um, that are important to you outside of somebody saying that they don't like your latest project. You know, so like you said, that is a different kind of um, maturation and them being able to say like, oh, you know what? Oh, I know what the industry is now. I get mm-hmm. it. But then it, it bugs you out when it's artists that have been around for 10, 15 years and they start wigging out, bugging. You're like, oh, they're going through something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm. My point in giving that journalism example where an artist is criticizing a journalist for the way that they write or their, you know, their, their, their grammar and etc. That's an example of someone who's not in a field, who hasn't dedicated themselves to something, criticizing someone who is about a technical aspect of that field, about something that they haven't studied, they haven't experienced, that they've never done. So all I'm saying is I could totally understand artists resenting a journalist or anyone criticizing them on a technical aspect, like giving in a definitive opinion about like, you know, your playing is sloppy or you don't understand harmony or mm-hmm. your chords mm-hmm. are poor or whatever. I, I understand completely that irritation with someone issuing a definitive opinion about something that they really don't understand themselves. I have no problem with a journalist or just anyone who's soaked in the culture saying, I didn't like this. And even describing why they didn't like it, but just like in non-technical, non-definitive terms. I, I don't like that argument. I don't like that argument. And the reason I don't like that argument is because, and I agree with you, like a writer shouldn't just say, oh, just shouldn't just, you know, crap all over something and then not back it up with some sort of depth or nuance, you know? And if I'm the editor and you hand me a piece like that, I'm going to give it back to you and be like, okay, this is just look, looks like a, a whack opinion piece. You know, this is not a critique. You know what I'm saying? There's, a critique has some depth. The critique has some references, something. You a know? whack opinion so, piece. Yeah, this is a whack opinion piece. Yo, but I, do, I just I laugh do, at the concept. It's like, your opinion is whack. <laughs> your opinion is whack and it has no backup. <laughs> but, Jay, I got to push back a little bit on that whole, you know, have you ever argument. I, I don't like that because, and, you know, speaking as a writer, I got to say, man, it is when you throw your heart and soul in something, I can understand, you know, giving it to somebody and then they crap all on me. Like, wait a minute, motherfucker, have you ever written a book? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's you your know record? what this... What's your record? I get, yeah, exactly. What's your, what's your record? record? <laughs> I, I get I get the impulse to do that, but at the same time, these people, let's, why do magazines and media exist? You know, for, yeah, they're to be informative, but for artists, why do they exist? They give you exposure. You know what I'm saying? They, they sell records, they sell books for you, they it's make people go see your movie. It helps you. Um, so at the same, at, when you put it out there, I feel like you have to, if this same writer gave you some positivity, you wouldn't be asking him, he wrote a, well, wait a minute, you said my chords are great. Have you ever studied this? You wouldn't be saying that. You wouldn't yeah. be questioning I, I think his I, credentials. I, and, and one, you only question it when he says something negative. And I, and I, have, an, I have a problem with that. I, I think one of the reasons why, and, and I bring him up again, one of the reasons why Charlemagne and Joe Button are winning is because they actually say what they like and don't like from either an honest place or from a place of that's my opinion that's it and if you want to try to like the the fact one the fact that joe button went up against eminem be it personal issues or anything else that's like one of the gods of rap you don't do that it's hardly anybody that goes up against him but for him to do it so publicly and so definitively it's like wow let me hear who else he feels like this about that's what people like they like to hear that that cantankerous. Oh man, yeah, I, yeah, it's like a him. shock jock kind of yes, vibe, right? It, it gets that, 
if they're able to shock, but then follow up with what they have with the shock, it's like, ooh, they made a point here. Yeah. That's right, when, exactly. it, that's when it, it starts to yeah. turn into something different from a whack opinion to actually opinion that has some validity. And you know what, you know what, man, to me, I feel like black culture as a whole, where we're talking about music, sports, whatever we're talking about, I actually think it doesn't need more adversarialism, but it definitely needs more critique. I, I'm, I welcome more critique. Mm-hmm. I think that we we have a tendency because of our history in this country and where the position that we find ourselves in, that we have a tendency to overlove, you know, so, and, and everything is great. You know, it's like it doesn't if it gets put out and if it's on, you know, if it's out there, we have to go support where critique like, is associated I, directly with hate. Yes. With hate. Especially and it's now. like, especially, uh, now. especially now. And I, I get that. And I understand that from a, an emotional level. I definitely understand that. But I actually think we would benefit from more critique, um, not adversarialism, but from more critique, more honest critique. You, you know, you guys know the um, she's retired now, but the uh, the New York Times literary critic, um, Mashiko. Kakatani, I think was her name. Um, she was, uh, you know, she was a literary critic for the New York Times for decades. Um, loved and hated, mostly hated, um, but sought after by the industry because her, if she gave you a good review, um, that was huge. Yes. It, it was always on the book covers, you know, on the book on the back of the book. If she gave you a good review, it was slapped right on the on the top of the uh, the reviews on the back of the book. But she was so honest and blunt that a lot of writers, famously, you know, just hated her. And I wonder if a writer like her would ever stand a chance in not just music culture, music journalism, but hip hop journalism. You know, can we ever have anything like that again? And today's point at this point in time, I don't see that ever happening You know, anytime soon. To me, I feel like there's a there's a level of um, there's a level of uh, quality and enhancement when you have that sort of criticism in the world. And in, in the music, in the culture. And I think that we should start educating people and saying, listen, this is why this matters. Day, you did a you talked about it earlier, and I think it was perfect as far as adding the depth to what you listen to, even if you've already listened to it mm-hmm. and giving you another perspective on it. Those are important things. Yes. And I feel like that's that's what we're missing right now. And I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm, t- I'm, I'm throwing myself in that, too, because I don't read a lot of criticism anymore either. Right. Um, I think that's what we're all missing right now. With what we're talking about, you know, I I, I think it's fenced around music sports even because i don't think anybody's having this kind of conversation about restaurant critics or 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 new york play critics or even or even highbrow film critics i mean there seems to be a very make or break understanding of a review from a uh, uh from a critic of a restaurant if i'm a restaurant owner and i got you know the new york times food critic coming to my restaurant right i'm freaking out because he, this person, he or she can make or break my restaurant. But now, depending on how many stars I get. And, and now, the thing that almost equals that is what? What was the Yelp review? What's their number on? on Rotten whatever? Tomatoes. You know what I mean? Like now, <coughs> right, right? Like now, so the, the abstraction. It's like the yeah, abstracted. The, the critique. Tape. The critique of all those, all these different things come from a group, uh, crowd-sourced kind of feel. Mm-hmm. You know, does this person even is is are they a connoisseur of this kind of restaurant? Like you might not mm-hmm. even go to that kind of restaurant, but then the Yelp review is like, oh my god, this is horrible. You don't even like mm-hmm. Escargo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course, it's gonna be nasty. It's something you don't even like. You know what I'm saying? So, but was it done well for the people that are connoisseurs? So that's the thing. It doesn't give you a yes. I'm this person that eats 
snails and I'm and I'm a person that makes it, understands it, knows the texture, know what season it's in. That's a high level critique. And we don't have the barometers now to say when somebody jumps in on Twitter, what level are you at? How long have you been listening to hip hop? How long have you been? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, and you don't mm-hmm. have to have this this uh, membership card to critique hip hop. You just have to be someone invested in it enough to know about it you know you can say i didn't like that track and not be a hip-hop listener but then if i am someone that's been listening for 20 something years and understand what what's quality and what's not where's that star for me to say that and that's the thing that's where we have to find now and i and i know accreditation yeah right the blue check on my twitter account doesn't give me that Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That just gives me, hey, mm-hmm. I'm popular or 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 Twitter <laughs> knows me. <laughs> but but isn't part of the problem that if you're employed at a major publication like say if you're the music critic for the Washington Post or the Guardian or GQ, right. then that accreditation, that experience is assumed, that understanding is assumed. And I know Isaac, you believe that there are a lot of journalists out there. Um, who have a deep listening bench but you know it depends on your perspective it depends on what you think is deep like uh, you know how many people really working for these publications listen to music beyond the mainstream mm. even if it's like mm. the mainstream in 1960 or 1980 how many of them how, how many of them go there and you know you like what you like that's cool but I, I just think you shouldn't accept like a position where you're judging other people's work if you don't have that knowledge but again, Jay, that's Jay, that's that's perspective though, because your perspective is okay. You you need to listen to X, Y, and Z to be deep. You see what I'm saying? It's like there's all these all these things. I mean, we're talking about art, so everything's objective, right. but for sure, I, I feel that you know there Sub- is subjective, subjective. I'm sorry, but there there is a, a a level of okay, what qualifies as deep? And to your point, I think I think the point you're trying to make is one I agree with though. Um, there isn't a lot, there isn't a plethora of that out there right now. No, but they still exist. They just aren't, they aren't, they aren't tweeting. They want to write long form and long form ain't right, right man, now. Long form <laughs> is so looked down upon right now, you know, mm-hmm. because it takes time. Nobody wants, it takes time. All this boils down to is time, fellas. No one wants mm-hmm. to put time into the actual craft. No one wants to put time into consuming the craft. No one wants to take time into reading about those crap it's, it's all mm-hmm. time we want it quick no one wants to fast. listen to this podcast it- about us talking about the craft <laughs> <laughs> and with that i want to move into uh to our second portion of the show the round table feature which one question four answers this episode we're calling it all the critics love you <laughs> okay we want to know what opinion or decision did a critic, news outlet, media outlet, or award show get stratospherically wrong? So, Daytuan, where'd you fuck up? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we want to know. We're, we're, That's what I've been holding on for the last scratch. 90 minutes oh, to say man. to you. <laughs> Dag, which one did I get wrong? <laughs> Oh. It, it no, 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 it's that. not you. You could pick someone anybody, else. Bro. Yeah, anybody, anytime. Can't copy that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, where did you feel like you read a review of something or you saw an award go to somebody? You just thought, you know what? They just messed that up. Well, I mean, the one that immediately comes to mind is Macklemore when he got the awards um, for, for hip hop and rap over, over Kendrick. 
uh, I believe that was either American Music Awards or the Grammys. Grammys. It was the Grammys, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's one right there, man. Like, uh, Macklemore is Macklemore, but come on, man. What? Why do you think they did it? Why do you think they, why um, do you think they chose that one? I, I, I think because the the Macklemore record was huge. It was it was a big record, you know. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily go in, oh, he was white. You know what I'm saying? It was because mm-hmm, he was white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That played into it, definitely. But I think that was when he went up against Kendrick with uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And that album was decidedly black. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it wasn't like they couldn't, um, they couldn't ignore it and how quality it was. They just went the other way with it, like on some cartoon shit. And Kendrick just had so much, so much fire within that project that I, I just thought it was undeniably the winner. So I think that's where they got it wrong the most. So I'm going to keep it consistent with day one, and um, I'm going to keep it Grammys. So my pick is the Grammys 1988 where for record of the year, the nominees were Michael Jackson's Bad, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston's Whitney, Whoa. Prince's Sign of the Times, oh my goodness. U2's The Joshua Tree, wow. and Dolly Parton, Emmylou Harris, and Linda Ronstadt's Trio album. And U2 won with The Joshua Tree. So you so you mean to so tell you me two, yeah, you two yeah, beat, beat Whitney, Michael, Michael Whitney and Prince? And Prince. <laughs> uh. Uh, and, you know, not Michael for Invincible, but Michael for Bad. Right. Not Prince for Planet Earth, but <laughs> Prince for Sign of the Times. What's Planet Earth? Right, exactly. <laughs> Dang, mm. I don't even remember that. That's crazy. I can't believe it now. yo prince talked about that i think in a rolling stone article rolling stone 1990 he said he was sitting there looking at you two thinking i can do whatever song they had out at that moment he said i can do that right but can they do housequake think of how big bad was though y'all was there jay when when you two took the stage or afterwards was there any apprehension on their part or kind of like hey you know, we the, in the acceptance speech, Bono mentioned Prince in his in his remarks. He had well, what this, did he say? So in Bono's remarks, what he had said was, um, "I'd like to talk about the music as we set out to make music, soul music. That's what you two wanted wanted to make. It's not about being black or white or the instruments you play or whether you use a drum machine or not. It's a decision to reveal or conceal." And without it, people like Prince will be nothing more than a brilliant song and dance man. That's when the side eye came. What? <laughs> That's, you can stop right here. That this he, is horrible. That, that he is, but he's much more than that. Wow. Wow. So yeah, that's not, he, that, he, that's, I, don't, I don't know. That's, if that's, is that a compliment? <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a sandwich. That's a sandwich. That's that's. that's, that's a, I know I'm up here and this is crazy because I shouldn't over, have this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, no, man. he would be nothing more than blah 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 if it weren't. I get what he's trying to say, but that's right. that's not right. That wasn't yeah. the place. That wasn't the right place. That wasn't the context. That wasn't the way to say it. That was. Yeah, that, that was, was a, that was a lot right there. That was some on the fly. This dude was looking at me. 
And as he was saying it, I remember the camera flashed to Prince in the audience who was wearing, he was promoting, pre-promoting the love sexy look, <laughs> right? And Prince had that shade look on him like, nigga, you up here <laughs> with my statue. I know you. I know you're gonna say Don't something about me. Don't make me run up me. here with my platform right, right, shoes. Right, 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 <laughs> and put my heel in your. Right, and put my heel in your lead guitarist behind. Or exactly, like that. exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. I know he could do every piece of anything on that album by himself. Yeah, I just, I just want to add that there's a bit of a plot twist here for me with you two. Um, I kind of went deep into their catalogue for the first time last year, mm-hmm. and. I listen to the Joshua Tree in particular a lot, and that's a compositionally strong album. I think, like they they can write a pop anthem. Mm-hmm. The Joshua Tree opens with "Where the Streets Have No Name." I still haven't found what I'm looking for, with or without you. You know, they they're very memorable pop tunes, but with an atmosphere and a kind of tonal quality that it does take you away. Um, yeah, and it, it's not bad music. Who would you have given it to? Oh, Prince all day. Okay. Only because Sign of the Times is such a brave work in a way that I don't think the Joshua Tree was. It's, you know, so expansive. And to do, you know, right now everybody's doing 20-track albums. But back then to do something of that length and, you know, they couldn't fit it back then on one CD. The CD technology at that time didn't allow for it to fit on one disc. It, you know everything from the art direction we've talked about it many times on this show and how what a great album it is so man i would give it to it just because the ballad of dorothy park is on the album thank you thank <laughs> you preach preach exactly preach isaac your turn but just to go way 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 back um further back than i think you guys went um 1970 what year was it uh don't let me mess this up uh 19 19- 78 um here my dear comes out marvin gaye's um ode if you want to call it that ode or uh dis <laughs> entire diss track to his ex-wife anna gordy Her, his ode um, to the expo- the divorce experience his yeah the divorce the experience divorce yeah I, and that's you know that's a beautiful way to put it because this is a very complex album it wasn't just a diss track there were songs on there actually anna's song is a um uh, a beautiful song that actually is a, is a ballad for anna um, a very positive song. So, but when this album came out in '78, it was universally panned by critics. I think um, in David Ritz's book, he talks about maybe there's one or two critics who actually saw the potential in this album and what it was really doing. But this album was really ahead of its time um, and really wasn't commercial at all. Uh, I think the first, I don't know if the first, the lead single was um, When Did You Stop Loving Me? No, it was a Funky Space um, reincarnation, which is probably the most sellable song on the album. Um, but the first fast track you get on the album, I think it's the third song, is uh, we talked about it before on the show, is um, uh, when, did you, when Did You Stop Loving Me, When Did I Stop Loving You, which is a long-ass title to a long-ass song that doesn't get to the chorus until the actual end of the song. Um, and that set the kind of the, the, the tone for this album. It was very, very, very different um, than anything Marvin had done before. It was different than anything that was out there on the radio or wherever. And critics just, you know, shat all upon it, basically. Um, and then later, of course, they came around and said it was, you know, brilliant. It was genius. This, that, and the third. Um, so yeah, that's, that's. But, but Isaac, that goes to what I was saying 
you know earlier about being able to sit and understand quality later on mm-hmm. and, and, right. and, and that right. season is setting in you know what I mean so that that's so real man right. so that goes to show you that that type of stuff has been going on for you know 40 yeah years. <laughs> at least yeah but even then was it the same was it the same critics who were going back and changing their opinions I, I don't think it was that's a good question I think that that's a good it was question years later um after maybe even I don't know maybe even after he had passed away when there was a general kind of cultural reappraisal of his work and and particularly this phase of his work I don't think I don't think the original critics were saying hey I got it wrong it would be interesting to see if any of those critics from 78 ever kind of reverse their opinion that's a good that's a good point also not nominated for a Grammy actually surprisingly and that's that surprises me more than anything else because it's the type of album that I could see the Grammy voters actually championing because it didn't, you know, get the love from the critics or whatever. Arturo. Okay. Uh, I am going to do something a little different. I'm going to do a crossover that is uh, related also to our sister show, Snobs on Film, which is also available in iTunes, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, everywhere that fine podcasts are distributed alongside the music snobs. Um, this pick is uh, is, a, is a crossover. It's got a musical component to it, but also uh, a film component uh, because I am going to also follow in the vein of um, the established uh, awards ceremony circuit and come at the Oscars for uh, for really for really messing this up. But in two thousand, Kevin Spacey won the Best Actor award for his role. Uh, in American, in a, uh, as a pedophile <laughs> in American Beauty and he won that over Denzel Washington's portrayal as Reuben the Hurricane Carter oh. a middleweight boxer from the 1960s who was wrongfully in prison for a triple homicide um, both of those roles the lead actor portrayed a, uh, a man going through an internal development um, but with Denzel having to play three stages of Hurricane Carter's life, two of those stages in incarceration, you know, one as a man in, in his prime and one as a man near 20 years later as, a, as, an, as an older man who's you know, nearly just given up and accepted what his fate is, still has the fight in him, but you know, not in the same kind of way as before. Um, it was just really, it's one of my favorite roles of Denzel Washington. It's also one of the roles for me where I wasn't watching the movie and it was Denzel playing that guy, you know, how sometimes uh. Denzel, it's like, you know, you see Denzel playing characters and it's like, you know, that's, it's like, that's Denzel, right. you know, I had that same kind of feeling with an actor like Tom Cruise, mm. you know, cause they're not, you know, it's like where, where this like sort of the absence of the character actor. Right. Um, but this one, I just yeah, thought the pre- that gr- their presence dominates. Yeah, the presence dominates. And, you know, with this one, this is one of, to me, it's one of Denzel's best roles. Even at the time, the critic Roger Ebert, the late Roger Ebert, called it one, one of Denzel's best roles. It's uh, a great film. And I it's, think it's one, I think it's one of his most forgotten roles, though. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They, you know, there was even a, uh, some cultural noise behind it. I mean, there was a soundtrack where you know, the Roots performed the song. They had the Jazzy Fat Nasties. On it, it was a Black Star track that was on it, Michelle track that was on it, mixed in with uh, you know a Bob Dylan song that was written 
um, um, in the late 60s or early 70s, I, I'm, not, I'm not certain, um, in honor of Hurricane Carter. And I just feel that it was just um, a misplaced decision to give the Oscar nod to Spacey. It, 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 for me, it kind of tainted Denzel's later win for, uh, for Training Day. Not that he didn't deserve it, but it was almost like a payback, low-key conciliatory. Like, yeah, we know we messed up, so here you go. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) This has been the Music Snobs Podcast. We want to thank Daytuan Thomas, the editor-in-chief of Vibe Magazine, for joining us in the guest snob chair. Our Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. Our Instagram handle is The Music Snobs. And our show library is found online at themusicsnobs.com and everywhere that fine podcasts are distributed, especially Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a review and also give us a rating. Don't worry about the number of stars. Just choose the last one on the right and you'll have us covered. We're in Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. Uh, and everywhere that accepts a finely crafted show fee in RSS format. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next show. A witch, I'm not aware. Aware. Won't you forgive me, baby? Won't you forgive me, baby?